Thank you, Andrew. Uh, it's now that we take a moment to pause before we hear God's word, a time to, to pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds so that we might be able to hear God speak. So let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this moment of worship where we can come from a week that has been so much. And for a time, we can sit still and be here and present with you and one another. And I pray that as we listen to your word, that your word would come to life. And that we would see your son, Jesus, and the beauty of who he is. And wish to be a reflection of him in our lives as well. So, by your spirit, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Psalm 116, verses 1 through 16. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord protects the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I kept my faith even when I said, I am greatly afflicted. And I said in my consternation, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your servant girl. You have loosed my bonds. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. Hear this word of the Lord. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We try to persuade others, but we ourselves are well known to God, and I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us 
so that you may be able to answer those who boast in inward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on. Because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has come new. All this is from God who reconciled us to him through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Over the past couple weeks, uh, we've been going through uh, a series here at Limwood in which we're discovering and learning about the promises that God speaks to us in baptism, the things that God says and commits to. During the first week, we heard God say, you are my son, you are my daughter, you belong here as part of my family. In the second week, last week, we heard the declaration, you are forgiven. And this week, we are learning about this declaration um, that we are united to Christ, unified with him, and in his death and his rising. So God essentially saying, I've united you with my son Christ in his death and his rising. And I promise to lead you on that journey in your life. <laughs> if I'm honest, uh, and I, I, it kind of feels good to get off my chest, I have a really hard time with this one. <laughs> and I have a hard time with this one because it seems so abstract and hard to really grasp and wrap my head around. I mean, in one way, it shouldn't be that way, because in the New Testament, one of the ways in which baptism is practiced, especially in Jesus' own baptism, is that pe people would come to the river, right? And in Jesus' own baptism, he was laid back and submerged under the water and then brought back up. 
as we've been talking about baptism, we've been saying that baptism is a visible sign of invisible grace, something visible and tangible that communicates to us something invisible. Just like a hug can be, uh, you, can, you can wrap your arms around somebody and communicate that you love them or that you're going to miss them before they're going away so that person knows that in this embrace that this is communicating something that's going on deep within. So, so we've been talking about that. And yes, baptism is, is something that signifies visibly the intangible grace and goodness of God. And in the New Testament, when someone is going to be submerged and put under water, it's a symbol and a sign, a physical thing, of death and dying. And when someone is raised back up, it's like this resurrection and this restoration back to life where they can breathe again. And this baptism of Jesus in the New Testament kind of uh, foreshadows his own death and his own rising. And scripture teaches that we share in his death and his rising because baptism unites us with him. And this, this is the passage that, uh, that really gets at it. It comes from, from Romans um, in which Paul is talking to the Christians there about how we are joined together and united in that same thing that Jesus experienced. So in chapter 6, he, start, he starts off. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Because if we've been united or joined with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from that sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never again have dominion over us. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so, because of all of this, you should also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. So Paul is really talking about the way in which we're joined to Christ in his own death means for us that death and sin does not have dominion or power ultimately over us. That we live something different. We live to God. This passage is, is deep and there's a lot going on. It's in some ways a lot for me to make sense of. And I struggle to wrap my mind around it. And I struggle to wrap my mind around also this part of 
um, baptism and how this is something that's communicated to us um, for a number of different reasons. But one in particular is um, that that sometimes in life we don't often experience, even if we've been baptized, or maybe we have been baptized, but so often we, it's, it's hard to see the evidence of this transformation, this dying to an old part of ourselves that we wish we could be rid of, and coming alive to a new part of ourselves that we really want to embody in our lives. And I think that's, that's why I... I wrestle and I struggle with this, this thing. Um, but if nothing else, baptism is this persistent promise for us of God's continued commitment to us to hold us regardless of what's happening around us and continue throughout our life to lead us on this pattern of death to life. This is something that God commits to and something that we have a part in as well. As I was trying to wrap my mind around this during this week, um, I revisited what sacraments actually mean. They're called visible signs and seals. And we've been talking about a sign and the sign is, as we've talked about, something that we can see pretty evidently. But baptism and um, communion, which are the sacraments, are also these seals. And uh, the reason why I bring this up is because the seal part gets at some intangible, invisible thing that God is committing himself to. So the word uh, sacrament that we have today that we call these two things, communion and baptism, um, is a Latin term that actually isn't um, directly a part of scripture. In scripture, um, there wasn't the term sacrament in there in the New Testament. It was first um, just called uh, uh, rites or things like that. Eventually, in the early church, um, the word that they used to describe these two things were um, mysterion, which we get the word mystery from. And so baptism um, and communion were held as these sacred places that held the mysteries of God and where the mysteries of God were communicated. But also there was something that um, was a part of these things that maybe we couldn't evidently see. And one of those things that uh, is communicated is, is the seal in which God is pledging a commitment to us that God will bring this to fruition. Anyway, moving on from that point, because I think <laughs> we've beat that one to death. Um, as I was wrestling with this, I was trying to make sense of it, and as I did, I couldn't grasp it until I thought of um, something completely different, which was that I'm going on uh, continuing ed and then vacation this coming week. And the reason why I bring this up is because in, um, in a week's time, my sister, Meryl, who's third in line, I'm second in line, um, she's getting married and I'm doing this, this service. And this is a wonderful blessing that I get to be part of. And if it's anything like when my older sister got married, 
in which I was standing up for that one, when my older sister was walking down the aisle, all the, the memories of times gone past were flashing through my head as she made her way to stand there with her now husband, as they were joined together in this union of marriage where they became this new creation. And I bring this up because I'm thinking about my sister Meryl and thinking about standing there with them as a representative for God, joining them together in marriage. And I think about marriage and I think about the way that at its best, it is this beautiful thing where we become a new thing with another person, right? There's so many ways in which when Meryl is married, I won't just be able to call her up anymore and say, hey, come on, let's go hang out. She'll have to confer with the other person she is joined to, right? So what I'm trying to get at is that in marriage, there's a distinct change that happens. And yet, even though the change happens, she is still herself. And so in marriage, it's a moving away from the old thing to a new reality in which we're still ourselves. And throughout this union, this thing that they've committed to and they are committing to, there is this movement to put aside, to learn love, to learn how to love by putting aside old habits that just don't work when you're trying to compromise. Like selfishness and lying and any number of, of selfish deeds, right? In marriage is this joining in this union and this learning to love by setting aside old habits of being so that over time you grow to become something new and beautiful and flourishing. And as I thought about this marriage up and coming between my sister and my to-be brother-in-law, I thought of how it, it's a metaphor and an analogy for the beauty of baptism. And it helps me to wrap my mind around what's going on here. That in baptism, there is this joining together where something new takes place, even though we might feel mostly the same. And yet, there is something that distinctly takes place. And that is the work of God to hold this union together and continue to bring this, this new thing, to grow it and bring it into uh, a state of, of flourishing and fulfillment. And so I think baptism in this way, this, this union with God at its best, is like unto a marriage, where God is this partner who has shown us God's unfailing, unselfish love for us in his son, Jesus Christ, and invites us into a relationship in which we begin to set aside old patterns of self that aren't bringing us life or anyone else life and to put on something new, as uh, Kathy was showing in that children's sermon, to put on a new self, a new identity in Christ, so that we begin to 
becomes something beautiful in our lives. And overall, this, in, this is ultimately an invitation and requires a decision from us, a decision to trust that in this God, to trust in this offer of, of forgiveness and new life through Jesus, and that following this one can lead to something life-giving. And so for us, baptism is not just about hearing about these promises from God, but it's also an invitation to this communion with God. And it takes work on our part. And the work on our part is not only trusting that God will bring this to fulfillment, but it's a daily response to God's invitation. In um, one week or six days, I'll stand before my, my sister and Tubi's uh, brother-in-law, and I'll reference this passage in Colossians, which says, um, as God's uh, chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with kindness, meekness, patience, peace, but above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And I'll say to them, look, as surely as you go to put on clothes in the morning to clothe yourself, don't neglect to put on the clothes of love and peace and patience onto your heart so that you carry them around with you whenever you step into the kitchen or go to your job or come back home so that not only you, but you both might grow and flourish. And I think it's the same way with, with this relationship that God's inviting us into that each day we are invited to put on the clothes of love and peace and kindness and all these things because one's who we are in Christ, but secondly, because it helps us to become. So may this word be your invitation today, invitation to meditate on the goodness and the love of God that is for you each and every day but also an invitation to think about the ways in which the Holy Spirit is present and inviting you to become more who God has created you to be. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words, which speak um, good and kind and loving things. Uh, we pray that today your words in scripture might rest softly in our hearts. May they be like seeds that germinate and grow into life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.